So the title of today's message is Imagine Forgiveness. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or flip out your phones or however you read God's Word. As Christians, forgiveness is one of the things that we talk about the most. The Christian church, that's its primary message, is that God loves you, He wants to forgive you, He wants to wash away all your sins and completely bring you back into His family. But it's also one of the things that we struggle the most with actually doing. We talk a lot about it, but actually doing it in our own hearts and forgiving from our hearts and forgetting people's sins is very, very difficult for many of us. And Jesus himself knew that forgiveness was not easy. Consider the world that Jesus lived in. He lived in a, in a place where a lake was the dividing line between two people groups who deeply hated each other. He, he lived as a adult life as a subject of the Roman Empire. He was, wasn't even considered a citizen. He was a subject of the Roman Empire. And they were deeply hated by the people that they conquered. He grew up in a family where some of his own family members didn't even believe he was who he said he was. He was treated harshly by people who didn't even know him, by his religious establishment. Everybody was saying evil things about him. And finally, he was killed by the very people that he came to save. Jesus knew what it meant to deal with unforgiveness. But Jesus knew the power of forgiveness was not easy. But he also knew the incredible power that can come from forgiveness. And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, which many of us know as the parable of the prodigal son. And within the Bible, parables are these stories that are told by religious leaders and, and especially by Jesus. Jesus used the parable because he would take a deep spiritual truth and tell it in a story so that it would make sense. In other words, he was bringing this high and lofty idea and putting it down to where we could all understand it and all apply it to our life through telling it within a story. And in this story in particular, it's about a son who has desperately needed the power of forgiveness in his life. And we're going to read that in just a moment, but I just want to take just a moment and pray because I know the subject of forgiveness can, can just gr grab deep things within our hearts and shut our ears off because we already have this idea of I'm not going to forgive that person that hurt person hurt me way too much and therefore I don't want to even listen so I'm just going to ask that God help us to open our hearts this morning to this idea and this very important principle of forgiveness. Father God, I come to you today as a person who needs this idea, this principle, and this extremely important spiritual attribute to be made manifest in my life. There are many things that have happened to me in my life that have torn me down, that have, have just wrecked me spiritually, emotionally, and physically even at times. And so, Father, I ask, Lord, that you just open up every heart here to hear what your word would say, to hear what your spirit would counsel, and to help us to understand the power that is in forgiveness for us this morning and the absolute necessity for us to grasp this in our own spiritual life. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, Jesus begins the story. 
Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. The story opens up with the younger son going to his father and requesting his inheritance before the father's even dead. The father's probably still in his 50s, maybe early 40s, and the son's like, hey, I want to fast forward several years and have you die and give me my inheritance. Think about what this meant in these times. If you were wealthy back then, if you had any means whatsoever, it meant that you had a great deal of land. So what the son is saying is, I want you to go out and sell off half of your land and give me the money for it. Today it would be like one of your children coming up and saying, hey dad, can you, can you just sell the house? Can you sell your camper? Can you sell your boat? Can you sell all your toys, all that thing that you've worked so hard to, to, to obtain in your own life? I want you to sell it all and then give me half the money. What that son is really saying here is, Dad, I need you to die so I can be happy. And we learn a few things about the son from this verse and about the effects of sin on the heart of a person. The first thing we learn is that sin blinds you to everyone else and everything else. It totally and completely blinds you to everything, and it makes you incredibly selfish. You become the object of your own worship. And when this happens, you don't want dependence on anyone or anything. You just want what you want, no matter the consequences to anyone else. I grew up in some very broken circumstances. Many of you have heard when I was 16, it culminated to me of leaving home. I lived essentially homeless. For two years, I lived with various friends. I crashed on couches, lived from one party to another. And I remember when I left home and walking away from my home, I'm finally feeling the sense of freedom. I didn't have to live with the hypocrisy. I didn't have to live with the abuse. I didn't have to live with all the stupid rules. And finally, I'm going to be free from all of this stuff. I'm going to be my own man. I'm 16 years old. I live in a city. I have it all figured out. I'm going to go out and make my life. And I remember how good that felt at that moment, walking away from my, my mom's house. Now we fast forward to Thanksgiving. I'm walking around the city of Kenosha, and I have nowhere to go. I remember walking past houses and seeing cars parked out in the front, seeing the windows open in the front and families laughing with one another and sharing with one another and smelling the food that was coming out and being served. And I couldn't um, be part of any of that because I had walked away from my family. I remember how much my heart ached at that point because I was essentially homeless. I see myself in this story of the prodigal son and I see exactly where he's heading because I've been there in my own life. And we've all struggled at one time or another with selfishness. We've always, all struggled with wanting things our own way. And because we've all been there, there is no one in this room does, that does not need the forgiveness that we're going to be talking about this morning. We also learned something about the Father from this verse, and that is the Father allowed him to go. Rather than retaliating against his son's bad behavior, rather than taking him out to the woodshed and teaching him a lesson, he lets him go. It's both a gift and a burden from God, this thing that we have called free will. 
It's a gift that God allows us to live our lives the way we want to, but it's also a burden because if we make the wrong choices, destruction follows. We have to accept responsibility for our own actions, and the Son will soon find this out. Continuing in Luke chapter 15, verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money on wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Some of you in this room, or maybe some of those listening by the podcast, you've made your life in a distant land, far away from God. You've chosen to run as far away from the truth as you can. And therefore today you're living far away and have made your home outside of God's will. Just like you, this son has gone to a foreign country. He's blowing through all the money and he's found himself in trouble. He is at rock bottom. He has nothing. Let's continue to see his plight here. Verse 17 said he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, I'm dying of hunger. And that son begins to realize that he doesn't have it all figured out like he thought he did. He thought about his father's home and the rules that came with it. He thought that that was a handcuff to him. He thought that that was a a prison cell to him before. But now he realizes that the thought thought of these things handcuffing him or the thought, thought that these things being a prison to him were actually protective fences that were meant to keep him from falling off a cliff that was right on the other side of that fence. You see, the Father wasn't limiting him with rules. The Father wasn't trying to restrict his life. He was protecting him. He was looking out for him. And this son begins to work for a Gentile. This would be the equivalent of you going to work in a way that would be the most embarrassing, vulnerable, and needy place that you could possibly be in life. When we say rock bottom, he's under the rock that says rock bottom. He's at the lowest place in his life. He has nothing to give and nothing to receive. He feels like he has nowhere to turn. And then, then, he realizes dependence on his father was not weak. It was wise. As a pastor, one of the most heart-wrenching situations is dealing with prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. They hit a snag in their quest for freedom and then they turn around and blame everyone else around them, including God. But they never turn that judgmental eye to their own actions or their own heart. They'll blame everyone else except their own decisions and their own bad choices. And sometimes it takes a person being lowered into a dark pit to truly appreciate light. And that's where this son is right now. He's at the bottom of a pit that he dug for himself, and now he's aching to see the light again. In verses 18, the son says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy 
of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get the ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fattening. We're going to celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. This son started on his journey home expecting to receive what he deserved because of his sin against his father. Because of the public disgrace that he put his whole family through. And the text says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming and ran toward him. The father didn't wait for his son to get to him. He didn't wait for the right speech. He didn't wait for an explanation. He didn't wait for his son to humble himself. He ran toward him. And that's what God needs you to see this morning. Is that the father ran to him. Now keep in mind, in Bible times for a, a patriarch of a family, for someone who was a wealthy landowner, he was to be dignified. He didn't run anywhere. He had servants to do that for him. He would never see him lower to base himself in front of somebody else because he's the man. He's the wealthy landowner. He's Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and, and all these rich guys. He's all rolled up into one, so he is never going to show that kind of weakness to anyone. But this man lifts up his cloak and just barrels toward his son. That's why this, sometimes this is called the parable of the running father and not the prodigal son. And it's a good picture of the unconditional love of God in our lives. The very moment that you realize that you are in need of the father, while you are still a long way away, he is still running toward you. Why is that? It's protection. It's to protect you. Especially in the culture we're talking about. Because in the culture we're talking about, there was a law on the books in Deuteronomy that said if someone has a stubborn or rebellious son who does not obey his father and his mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of the gate of his town. They shall say to the elder, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You see, the father isn't the only one who saw the son coming. Everyone in town would have seen this son coming down the road, including the elders of this town who were required to administer justice to this boy. And that's why the father laid down his dignity. So he, he put aside his reputation and he went and ran to his son, covering him with his own body before the men with stones got there first. Can you picture that for a moment? This son is not coming back riding a horse. This son is not riding a chariot. This son is walking in rags toward his father. He has been walking across deserts 
through wadis, through all kinds of just nasty places. He is literally in rags. He probably doesn't smell good. His hair is unkept, filled with bugs. He is just not somebody you want to get anywhere near. The smell must have been just absolutely atrocious. But the father brings him into his arms and hugs him anyway. Covered with the evidence of his sin, the father embraces him. The father does not see his ruin. The father doesn't see the evidence of the mistake. He sees the response of his son that saying, Dad, I need to come home. The words of the father show his heart and his priorities. He said, this son was dead and is now alive. He is lost and now he is found. Let's bring that thought home. No matter how much you've turned away from God, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what state you're currently in and no matter what you have done, the Father doesn't see your ruin. He's waiting to see your response. His forgiveness is barreling towards you. His love wants to embrace you. And He wants to celebrate you coming home. Jesus shared this story because He knew the power of God's forgiveness, that it changes lives forever. No matter how far you've run, no matter what pit you are in, God wants to see you walking back home. The story doesn't end here. Jesus continues by saying, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and not once refused to do for you a single thing you have told me to. And all that time you never even gave me a young goat for a feast with all my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has now come back to life. He is lost, and now he is found. The older brother was angry, that his younger brother was receiving a celebration when he had worked and he had earned his inheritance his whole life. He was angry that grace was extended in a situation that he didn't feel was fair. His heart was not for his brother. His heart was not for the loss that had been found, but for his own well-being. He had earned his place in that house. See, the younger brother's sin is not what distinguishes him from the older brother, as the older brother thought. It was the younger son's repentance that distinguished them. The younger son realized his need for the father and changed his ways completely. The father's response was to throw a party and restore him completely back into the fold and his family. You see, you can't have restoration before God without repentance. 
And because the son repented, the father's forgiveness restored him. The son could never imagine the way the father would lavish his love on him, but the older brother couldn't understand why he did. Some of you in this room are not the younger brother, but the older brother. Some of you have done things right your entire life. You got saved as a Christian. You didn't do anything as a teenager. You did everything right. You were raised with good morals and ethics. You've grown up in a church. You've never strayed. And I say, praise God for that. But I would ask you, have you ever thought you needed this kind of forgiveness? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've thought, I've never needed this kind of forgiveness, then you're being the older brother in this parable. Here are three signs that you might be like the older brother in the parable. You see someone who has lived a life of sin and and destroyed their life who finally repents, and you say something like, yeah, we'll see. See how long this lasts. Maybe he's just doing it for the judge. Maybe he's just doing it for whatever. Yep, yep, we'll see. See, you'd rather critique than celebrate. You'd rather find a reason not to celebrate than a reason to celebrate. And you don't try to find or understand the Father's heart for that person. In Matthew 6, verse 14, Jesus says, If you forgive others the wrongs they have done to you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive the wrongs you have done. You see, forgiveness is not just for us. When we receive the forgiveness of God, we're commanded to extend that same forgiveness to others. 1 Corinthians 5.15 says, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And if you need forgiveness, I'm here to tell you today that the Father is running toward you with arms wide open. Forgiveness is yours for the taking. If you need to extend forgiveness, I'm here to tell you today that the power of forgiveness does not come through your own strength. It comes through the power and the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ died a painful death so that we did not get what we deserve for our sins. And therefore, since He did that, we have the power to forgive others of their deeds or their hurtful words that they have told us in our lives. His strength is available for you today to be forgiven and to have your heart changed to forgive those who have wronged you. And that's the big idea I want us to walk away with today. That forgiveness is the fuel of a heart that is driven by Christ. Those of us who watched the movie, I can only imagine, witnessed Bart Millard's childhood abuse at the hands of of his father. And the struggle that he had moving past all that hurt, all that that trauma into forgiveness. We saw how God was also limiting Bart's destiny as a singer-songwriter until he got his heart right before God. 
At the beginning of today's message, I mentioned that one of the things I was running away from at 16 was abuse. My mother's boyfriend, who is kind of in and out of the picture at this point in my life, was very physically abusive to me, especially when I was young. He had a hair trigger temper and would whip me for no particular reason. It wasn't even because I did anything wrong, I was just there. And I never knew what I was coming home to from school, either the stoned Tony in the corner or the anger Tony waiting to take out his frustrations on someone. I remember my mom putting the cold washcloths on the welts on my back after he went out after me one day, just telling me it wasn't my fault, I was just an outlet for his anger, that he reminded me of somebody that he hated. That went on until my 14th birthday when I went to live with my dad. Fast forward to 2013, year before I came here, I get a call from my brother James. Now James had the total opposite relationship with Tony. To, to James, Tony was like another dad, even more of a dad to him than our father was, who was largely absent a lot of our lives. James told me, you know, brother, Tony's on his deathbed. He has terminal cancer. He's probably only got a few more hours to live. He's unconscious. He's in a coma. And, and they say that he's going to die in a couple hours. And I remember my feelings when I heard that Tony's dying this slow, painful, agonizing death. I thought, good. I, I got to be honest with you. I thought, good. I remember I smiled when I heard that. I also immediately felt the conviction of God wash over me. Reminded me that I deserve no less. And probably more than what Tony was experiencing. Because of the sin in my life. I had to repent in the middle of a phone conversation. Until James asked me to do something. James asked me to do his funeral. As a pastor. See, the family didn't have a church. They were broke. They were kind of living living on borrowed property and everything else. They, they couldn't afford a pastor. They thought they would have to pay somebody to do it. So James asked me to do it. And his, other, his cremation services had been donated through the hospice agency they had been working with, but they needed somebody to do the funeral. And again, my heart slammed shut again, and I almost laughed at James. I thought, there's no way in Hades I'm going to do anything for that man. But again, the Holy Spirit brought to mind Scripture. He said, if you refuse to forgive somebody in their sins against you, then God will not forgive your sins against him. So I did the funeral. I preached the gospel to those who had never heard it. They, they had been in that kind of, that subset in society that only wants their drugs, only wants their partying, but they got to hear the gospel because of this. God healed me of a large hurt that I had been carrying for years through that. That pain was limiting God's ability to use me the way that he wanted to use me. And I share this story from my personal life about the power of forgiveness because unforgiveness restrains your destiny and restrains God's ability to use you in life. You remember the movie we watched a few weeks ago, I can only imagine, about Bart Miller being 
who had been trying and just beating his head against the wall for years trying to gain success as a singer-songwriter. But every time he, he, he got in front of Hollywood or the, the Grammys or, or the uh, Nashville people, they would just slam the door. They told him he was no good. Go try something else. You don't have what it takes. He just heard failure after failure after failure. And then he went home. And he dealt with his father who was also dying. And finally came to a place of forgiving his father for the horrific abuse that his father put upon him. Right after that, he wrote a song that was now the best-selling Christian song of all times. I can only imagine. And as I was preparing this message, God showed me something. If I had refused to forgive Tony and do his funeral and chose to hang on to that anger, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'd still be in Kenosha, working as a paramedic, probably still an unpaid member of Prayer House on the staff just kind of doing ministry on the side. You see, I needed to forgive before God would allow me to move into his destiny for me. What I've learned about unforgiveness is this. Refusing to forgive is like mixing a poison for those who hurt you and then drinking it yourself. When we as individuals and we as a church can receive and unleash forgiveness the way that Jesus modeled, our families, our communities, and our world would be transformed beyond whatever we could ever see or even imagine. For those of you today that have sinned and, and need God's forgiveness, I again say to you, God does not see your ruin, but he wants to see your response. For those of you who need to forgive someone else, I got to tell you again that forgiveness is the fuel of a heart driven by Christ. If you choose to for, refuse to forgive, you limit and hurt yourself.